From New York's Hudson River Valley, I'm Ed McCann, and this is Read 650. Read 650 celebrates writers and the spoken word, five minutes and 650 words at a time. On today's show, we take a trip back to high school with true personal stories from writers Annabelle Monahan, Arthur Bell, and Julie Trelstad. The cool kids are hanging by the lockers, laughing and talking a little too loud. I started trumpet lessons in fifth grade. By high school, I was good enough to play in the marching band. At 16, I determined that I'd never have a boyfriend, even though I wanted one. And on today's Between the Lines segment, Sarah Bracey White ponders the future and what she'll be leaving behind. On our family tree, my line ends abruptly because I arrived late at the altar of marriage, long past my fertility use-by date. That's all just ahead on Read 650. Bus rides and best friends. Marching band and mean girls. Homeroom or homegrown. Whether high school was the site of your fondest memories or the scene of the crime, the stories we've selected from a live show we produced in New Rochelle might just transport you to that not-so-distant world of nerds, jocks, and stoners. First up today is novelist and essayist Annabelle Monahan with a sort of through-the-looking-glass reflection of her own high school experience. Here's Annabelle, recorded on stage at the Ossie Davis Theater in the New Rochelle Public Library, reading Back to School Night. The cool kids are hanging by the lockers, laughing and talking a little too loud. The nerds are in the classroom early, eager to shake hands with the teacher and nab the seats in the front row. The girls are put together in skinny jeans, heels, and blown-out hair. You know what I'm talking about, right? This is back to school night, and these are parents of actual high schoolers. <laughs> back to school night for high school is dramatically different than it is in elementary school. When you go to the little kids' school, you're acutely aware of your status as an adult. You sit in teeny tiny chairs and look through the artwork that your child has left for you. The teacher talks about how he's going to teach the kid to do stuff that you already know how to do. It's adorable how they're growing up, isn't it? In contrast, back to school night at your kid's high school makes you feel like a kid. I wander from class to class with no clue as to where I'm going. The traffic in the halls is so socially overwhelming that I find myself saying hello to everyone like I'm running for student council president. <laughs> Skinny Jeans walks by me and flips her hair without saying hello. I wonder what that means. Did I say the wrong thing? Did I say the right thing, but to the wrong person and it got back to her? I'm in a time warp and I've brought everyone with me. The guy who's texting in class, he was the note passer. The girl who's writing down every word the teacher says, even the jokes, she's the valedictorian. And the jock in the back row, he's stretching because he had a really hard practice today. And look, He's married to a cheerleader. And just like in high school, half the time I have no clue what the teachers are talking about. I walk into biology and the teacher has an assignment for us on the board. Record your inferences about these photos. 
look, lady, I didn't come here to do homework and you can't make me. <laughs> One photo looks like a bunch of colors and another looks like a feather. I write that down grudgingly. She starts her presentation by telling us the answer. I wasn't even close. I swear it's just like high school. When it's time for our break, I hit the cafeteria and I'm relieved to find my BFF. She seems relieved to find me too and we move to a safe corner. It's loud and crowded and the popular girls are selling things behind a folding table, somehow already in a club. Skinny Jeans is there and looks sublimely happy. I have a feeling she feels like she's back in high school too. I'm happy when the bell rings and I can go to English. This woman speaks my language. I telegraph to her from my seat in the very front of class how much I love her and every book she's teaching and how I want to be her when I grow up. Even though she's 30. I leave without saying hello because I don't trust myself to be cool about it. I go to more classes, each eight minutes long. Calculus, as it turns out, has very few numbers and it's too complicated for the teacher to explain to us. I'm a little grateful. The bell rings again and we check our schedules to figure out where the next class is. I have gym. So I instinctively run through my handy list of female problems that disarm male gym coaches. <laughs> but then it hits me. I'm a grown-up. I can just go home. Annabelle Monahan is the author of the novel Nora Goes Off Script from G.P. Putnam Sons, named one of the best beach reads of the summer 2022 by The Washington Post, USA Today, Cosmopolitan, and others. She's also the author of Does This Volvo Make My Butt Look Big, a collection of essays based on her column that appears in The Huffington Post, The Week, and The Rye Record. Annabelle lives in Rye, New York with her husband and three sons. Growing up on the Jersey Shore, writer Art Bell's earliest ambitions were to become a famous scientist and to be funny. He also had musical aspirations, which he recalled on stage before a live audience at Reed 650's Back to School event in New Rochelle. Here's Art Bell reading A Few Small Alterations. I started trumpet lessons in fifth grade. By high school, I was good enough to play in the marching band. Our first band rehearsal was on the football field under a blazing late August sun. There were 54 of us, all in sweat-soaked shorts and t-shirts, all hot and tired before we even started. I held a soggy mimeographed sheet, diagramming where my squad of four trumpeters would march, so that the band spelled out LHS for Lakewood High School in giant human letters. We had to march into position playing the school fight song, On for Lakewood. By late afternoon, we were overheated and sunburnt crimson. I thought we'd never get it right. Finally, everything clicked into place, and after the band formed those giant letters on the field, we were allowed to go home. We got our band uniforms when the school started a week later. The jacket and pants were deep blue trimmed in white. Our school colors. There were white leather spats that buckled over shoes and striped suspenders that crossed in back. And to top it off, a foot-high furry blue hat with a chin strap. It looked like the Bride of Frankenstein's hairdo 
dyed velvety blue. I hoped the hat might make me look taller, and I needed all the help I could get since I was the shortest kid in the freshman class. Because I was so short, I worried that the uniform might not fit. As soon as Mr. Unger, our band director, handed it to me, I fished around inside the jacket to check the size. Extra, extra small. The smallest high school band uniform made. I took the uniform, hat, spats, and suspenders home, ran upstairs to the privacy of my bedroom, and put everything on. The pants were so big that I could hold the waist six inches from my body. I looked at myself in the mirror. The jacket seemed to swallow me whole, and the sleeves hung down to my knees. With the suspenders and spats, it looked like I was wearing a clown suit. The only thing missing was the big red nose. There was a week before the first game, enough time to make alterations, but my mother didn't sew, and I was too embarrassed to ask anyone else to do it. I found a box of safety pins and began the process of pulling, folding, and pinning the uniform into a wearable size. I shortened the pants and sleeves, and I pulled in the waist so that it could be belted without bagging. When I finished, I climbed into the uniform, careful to avoid all the safety pins holding the excess fabric in check, and stood at the mirror. The pants and sleeves were the right length, but the jacket drooped and draped, as if it hung on a tiny clothes hanger. The pants crotch hung well below my actual crotch, and the zipper fly looked about two feet long. I swallowed hard and turned away from the mirror, knowing there was nothing more I could do. On game day, my father drove me to the high school. I sat quietly, fully uniformed, holding my fuzzy blue hat. See if you can get a ride home, he said as I climbed out of the car, struggling with all that pinned excess yardage. Walking down the hall to the band room, my pants broadcast a swish, swish sound and I braced myself for withering looks and cruel laughter. But when I walked into the band room, no one seemed to care that I looked like Bozo the Trumpeter. A few people said hi to me as we all got our music and instruments ready. Even though I felt like the sour note in the opening chord, I began to relax and to think that maybe I belonged. Even though the uniform didn't fit, I fit in. Art Bell is a former media executive whose career included stints at CBS, then at HBO. He is the author of the memoir, Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor. After a lifetime on the East Coast, Art and his wife Carrie now live in Park City, Utah, where Art writes and skis and co-hosts the Constant Comedy Podcast. Julie Trellstad grew up in Topeka, Kansas, where she collected toy frog figurines, developed her debating skills, and learned that few frogs actually ever become a prince. Her contribution to our back-to-school event is My First Frog. Here's Julie Trellstad. Pretty wasn't my thing. I was a smart girl and my limited experience with boys had led me to believe that Kansas guys weren't interested in smart. 
I hoped things might turn around at summer debate camp where a quick mind would surely win out over a curvy body. But hopes were dashed when every guy slobbered over my gorgeous, red-headed roommate, Wendy. Every guy, except John Lawson, the small-town boy randomly assigned to be my partner. John was the top debater from Satana, Kansas, population 1,200. I'd never heard of it. He described it as an oil town south and west of Dodge City, an area of the state so desolate that you wouldn't go driving without a spare container of gas in the trunk. John stood six feet tall and had pimply skin, wavy blonde hair, and wireframe glasses a decade out of style. His wide mouth reminded me of a frog. <laughs> I liked frogs. I'd been acquiring toy frogs and figurines since elementary school. I carried a desiccated frog left over from AP Biology in my debate briefcase for good luck. <laughs> The school newspaper even ran a feature on me and my frog collection, which may have been another reason I never had a date. <laughs> I told John he looked like my good luck frog. I hadn't exactly meant it as a compliment, but he answered by telling me he thought I was cute. Then he asked me to the prom in Satanta, 330 miles from Topeka. Using his keen debate skills, John argued that I needed to join him because there were not enough girls for all the guys in Satana. We didn't even have to go steady. He didn't need to argue. I was thunderstruck. I liked John okay, but I really liked him liking me. And I would get to go to the junior prom. I would fly in two planes, Topeka to Wichita, Wichita to Dodge City to get there. And if I screwed up my first attempt at romance, none of my Topeka friends who were already pairing off were going to be the wiser. My mom took me to Kansas City to buy a dress. I chose a one-of-a-kind white column of satin with pink, peach, and turquoise organza ruffles at the shoulder that made me feel sexy. When I arrived in Satanta, John's mother helped me apply half a can of Aquanec to my permed and electric rollered hair. She warned me that my cultivated curls would whip around my face in the fierce prairie wind if I didn't. I closed my eyes and let her spray. By the time she was finished, my hair bounced stiffly like wheat ready for harvest. With some sparkly aqua blue eyeshadow and peach lip gloss, I felt transformed like Sandy in Greece. John and I emerged from the gym sweaty and high from dancing into the inky darkness. A strong wind pushed the clouds away but didn't ruffle my hair. Tiny stars, more than I'd ever seen with my bare eyes, sparkled in the vast sky. I wished I wanted to be there with John but I needed to escape his incessant talk about cars, sports, and comic books. He smelled like Clearasil <laughs> when I finally let him kiss me with his dry lips. I didn't feel fireworks. John bored me. He wasn't the prince I'd hoped for. Disappointed I didn't want to make out, he helped me arrange my frothy dress in the front seat of his red convertible so it wouldn't get stuck in the door. We drove to Main Street to cruise between the town's two stoplights, 
honking, waving, and squealing at the other prom goers. John smiled his wide frog smile and showed me off his smart, pretty date from the big city. During the course of her career, Julie Trellstad has worn every hat in publishing and says the smell of fresh ink on paper still makes her swoon. She believes books create community by spreading ideas and sparking important conversations. And she's the founder and CEO of 82 Stories, offering creative publishing and marketing services. She and her husband live in Westchester County, New York, and you can learn more about Julie at 82stories.com. Our executive producer is Richard Kolath. I'm your host and Read 650's founder and executive editor. Our editorial team includes Stephen Lewis, David Masello, Lisa Donani Mayer, and Rhonda Zangwill. Our chief technology officer is Sarah Caldwell. Our announcer is Fran Tuno, and our show is produced by Jim Russick. If you like the show and want to hear others, follow us on your favorite podcast app. You'll be able to catch up on episodes you may have missed, like What We Ate or The Great Outdoors, and you'll get new ones delivered directly to you. Coming up right after the break, it's Sarah Bracey White with Between the Lines. Stay with us. Support for Read 650 comes from Nancy Manicharian's The Cell in New York City. Dedicated to the incubation and presentation of new works by emerging artists, The Cell has produced over a dozen critically acclaimed world premieres of new plays and musicals and serves as a home base for a large community of resident artists and organizations, such as Blackboard Reading Series, Artists Without Walls, and Tribeca New Music. View details and performance schedules at thecelltheater.org. I'm Ed McCann, and you're listening to Read 650. For today's Between the Lines segment, Read 650 contributor Sarah Bracey White shares her thoughts about writing truthfully and about her own legacy. Here she is reading an offering to the future. On our family tree, my line ends abruptly because I arrived late at the altar of marriage, long past my fertility use-by date. My inability to seed the future has led me to dig into my family's misfortunes and bear witness to stories long hidden behind sugar-starched lace curtains. My writings occasionally inspire fear in those who'd prefer to hide the truth behind forced smiles or seal their lips with fermented libations. They would have me present fictitious images that bear no resemblance to those family members whose genes we share. They whisper that my freedom from impressionable children has allowed me to abandon self-control in favor of self-indulgence. So this is my personal challenge, to write with honesty as if I have no fear of morning light ever shining upon my pages. To write with passion and humility, as if to persuade the gods that my life was not lived in vain and that their gifts were not squandered in darkness. To write so that my soul might take flight and be freed from the chains of mediocrity that cling to the masses and then to rewrite, 
as if my words are the last I will speak before dying. Unlike those before me who discovered truths but could only express them in voices that could not rise above a whisper, I hope my words will carry forward our family's true history so that it may be shouted by the young who follow me. And if I'm successful, my family's next generation will be armed with knowledge of the past, prepared to build a life on a solid foundation of truth. Memories and the written word are all that will be left of me when I am gone. This is the offering I send into the future. Sarah Bracey White is a writer, teacher, and arts consultant with degrees from Morgan State University and the University of Maryland. Her published works include Primary Lessons, a memoir, The Wanderlust, a South Carolina folktale, and Feelings Brought to Surface, a poetry collection. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, the Afro-American newspapers, and the Journal News. She's a frequent contributor to Read 650 and lives with her husband in Ossining, New York. Between the Lines is a regular feature of our show where we invite writers of all stripes and disciplines to share their thoughts or experiences about writing and the writing life. For details, click the Submissions tab on our website, read650.org, and you'll find open submission calls for upcoming shows. If you're in the podcast app already, you know how to get your podcasts, so please follow this one. If you're listening on the Read 650 website and want to get each episode of the show delivered to you, along with an order of buffalo chicken wings, download any podcast app, then search for Read 650 and follow the show. We release new episodes every Writer Wednesday. That's our show for today. Thanks again to writers Annabelle Monahan, Art Bell, Julie Trellstad, and Sarah Bracey White. And thank you for listening and for spreading the word about the spoken word. For more Read 650, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or at read650.org. I'm grateful you've joined us today. I'm Ed McCann, and this is Read 650.